Well, hello once again, Chase Oak. So glad you're with us as we continue our series, How to Hit a Curveball, helping us understand how to hit the curveballs like this Corona curveball that come at us, uh, that come at us in life. Uh, next week, uh, make sure you show up because we're going to hear from the Colorado Rockies pitching coach once again that we heard from last week, Steve Foster. He's going to help us know how to throw a curveball. And the reason I say that is because next week when you show up, make sure everybody's got a ball or an apple or something that you can use to, to learn how to throw a curveball. Uh, don't throw it at the TV. That could be a problem, but that'll be fun. And uh, it, learning how to throw a curveball. This week, of course, in the series, we're talking about how to hit a curveball because life in a fallen world will guarantee like curveballs that we just have. This isn't going to be the only one. Uh, there's just a number of curveballs in life. And today we're focused on what to do when you lose control. We're talking about control or really the loss of control, uh, because that's hard to handle as a human being. We like to be in control. We like to be in the driver's seat. It's hard to not be, especially when the, the drive is kind of a rocky one. Uh, maybe you can relate to that. Just even thinking about teaching teenagers how to drive. That can be hard to give up control. Some of you are teenagers or you were young enough that you just got your license or you kind of remember that as you're you'd be in, you know, for learning how to drive and your parents would freak out in the passenger seat. I remember when I was learning how to drive when I had my permit, my mom uh, was, you know, in the passenger seat. Of course, she would try to hit the brake that wasn't there on the passenger side. But the big thing she would do is about every two minutes, it seemed like she'd go. Like that, and she'd panic, and, and I'd think, oh, what am I hitting? Who am I running over? What am I doing? And, uh, and she, oh, no, I'm sorry, I saw somebody way over there. I was like, Mom, you can't do that. Okay, I'm not going to do that. And then a minute later, she said, like that. You know, it's just it's hard to be in the passenger seat. And I remember kind of giving her a hard time, and she'd say, Jeff, one day you're going to be a teenager, and one day, or not, not a teenager, one day you're going to have teenagers, and you're going to know what it's like to be me. And I thought, ah, whatever. And then sure enough, years later, I was old enough to have teenagers and it was hard not to be in the driver's seat. It was hard to be in the passenger seat. And yet that's where we find ourselves right now. Right. I mean, a lot of us, we, we felt like maybe relative to now, certainly we had life kind of in control. We were kind of in the driver's seat of our life and we know things could be better. And but still. Compared to now, we were kind of on, on a path. We had hopes and we had dreams. We had plans. And we were kind of working our hopes and dreams and plans. And then this happened. And it feels like everything's uncertain. Everything's up in the air. It feels like we've lost control. I mean, that's true in career. Like maybe, uh, maybe you felt like in your career, you were, you know, you liked your job or you didn't. But you still, you felt like, hey, we're, we're moving somewhere. This is heading somewhere. And now... It's like, I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe you've lost your job or been furloughed or things are just more uncertain and more tricky. Or maybe you're a business owner or a leader in a company and you were working your business plan, right? You were working your business model and and you were tweaking it and you're but you were cruising, you know, and then this happens. And how do you plan now? I mean, with all the uncertainties, realize, man, we are out of control or even in other areas of life, maybe you're a college student and you were either looking forward to college or maybe you had a little bit of college and then, the, you know, you were pulled back home and and your plan was to be in college, sorority, fraternity or Christian organizations that you're involved in or campus life. And your plan was not to be at your parents' house again doing classes online. 
But here you are doing classes online at your parents' house. Uh, or maybe you're planning to get married this spring and or even this summer. It's like, what's going to happen or what did happen and how are we going to do this? Maybe you were just hoping to meet somebody. And how do you meet somebody in a pandemic? I mean, I could go on. Right. But we get the idea that we're we all know it. We've lost control or maybe just the perception of control, because the truth is we were never really in control in the first place. But certainly we've lost a sense of control. And when that happens, it's easy to strike out. It is hard. That is a hard curveball to hit. And there are different ways to strike out. We can freak out, you know, and we can uh, just kind of give up. We can give in to different temptations and different escapes. We can get paralyzed and because we don't know what to do and. And it's hard to move forward when we sense loss of control. We get stressed out, anxious, all this stuff that can happen. And today we're going to focus on, because this is one of those skills we've just got to be good at. This is a good opportunity to learn how. Um, how do we hit the loss of control curveball? And the, and the really cool thing is in the Bible, the God who is in control, because life actually isn't out of control. We're going to see that today. The God who is in control is going to help us out and we're going to hear from or focus on a character in the Old Testament who's going to be kind of our hitting coach on how to hit this loss of control curveball. His name is Joseph. And maybe you've heard of Joseph. He's the guy with the coat of many colors. If you remember that story, if not, that's OK. Um, Joseph's story is a crazy story because he was definitely a guy who would his pattern was this. He would kind of get life under control. He starts out in control and the curveball happens and all bets are off. And then he gets life under control again. And then another curveball and all bets are off and over and over and over again. Just when life was getting OK, then bam, another curveball. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe that's been your life story. But he does actually in the process get good at hitting those kind of curveballs. So let's tell his story. Um, it's it's in the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, if you're following with me somehow on a Bible or tablet or app or something on your phone in the in in Joseph. Starting out in his story, he had it going on. He he would have felt very much in control of his life, like he had life like a tiger by the tail. His future's so bright, he's got to wear shades. He's a teenager, like an older teenager in a very prominent, very powerful a family, very important family. Um, his dad is Jacob, whose granddad was Abraham. And that's a big family in the Bible because the, the family of Abraham, God chose that family through him. The nation of Israel would emerge. There would be God's light to the nations, the family of promise through which the savior of the world, Jesus, eventually would come. So this is an important family, but a family that God blessed a lot. So they were powerful. They were wealthy. And Jacob, Joseph's dad, had no secrets about it. I mean, he, he did not hide the fact that Joseph was his favorite of his 12 sons. He had 12 sons, but Joseph was the favorite. He gave him the coat of many colors, which was a big deal to show everybody. Yep, he's my favorite. Uh, he was the second to youngest. He wasn't the oldest. He uh, his brothers resented him for that. He didn't do manual labor like his brothers did. So picture like in this wealthy family, he's one of those trust fund kids driving around in his BMW um, when he's not driving his other BMW. He's, he's I mean, he's just got life going on and his brothers resent him and it gets worse when he has this dream and he interprets the dream and he should have just kept it to himself. 
But the dream is of his, of his brothers bowing down to him one day. He he shouldn't have shared it, but he did. Told his brothers, you know, one day you're all going to be bowing down to me. That's I had this dream, and I believe it's from God. And that was just too much for his brothers. So his brothers decide we got to get rid of our little brother, and they find an opportunity. A group of slave trade people, slave traders, not traitors, traders are coming through and they sell their little brother into slavery. Some of you right home right now are at home or wherever you are right now. You've got a little brother or you've got a little sister and you're thinking, is that a thing? Like, can I, is there a place you can sell your little brother or your little sister? I'm in. Uh, no, that's not a thing. But it was a thing back then, 3000 years ago. So they sell him into slavery. Uh, these people who are going through on the way to Egypt and they make it look like for their father that he's been killed by a wild animal. They bring his coat back with all this animal blood on it. And the dad believes he's dead. He grieves. But they've got rid of little brother. But for Joseph, that's a curveball. I mean, he's just so life was all good in control. Now he's sold into slavery. What's going to happen now? So he's sold into slavery to a prominent family, to a very wealthy family in Egypt, a guy named Potiphar. And what's he going to do now? And it would have been real easy to strike out on this one, right? Just to throw up your hands and, you know, but, but we see that he, we see he learns how to hit the curveball. We see a pattern in his life. I mean, for one thing, he, lo- he, he's, he gains some humility and some perspective and he's not so cocky. He's not so brash as he was before. That's important. But more importantly for us, this is the pattern that we're going to see in all of his curveballs is he's going to take responsibility for the things he can control and trust God for the rest. And this is our principle for today. When we lose a sense of control like we have, what do you do? Well, the truth is we're actually not. There are some things still in our control. So you take responsibility for the things we can control and you trust God for the rest. That's what he chooses to do as a slave in Potiphar's house. What can he control? He can control his attitude and he can control his work ethic He can control how good of a servant he is. And so he decides, I'm going to make the best of it. I'm going to be the best servant in the history of servants. And he's a very capable guy, very gifted guy, evidently, administrator and so on. And so he does his job really well. He keeps getting promoted, 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 promoted until he becomes the like the head of all of the businesses owned by Potiphar, which was a lot. He becomes kind of a big deal. He's still a slave, but slaves back then was different than maybe the way we think of it. So he has his own wealth. He has a lot of freedom. Once again, his life is feels in control. Life's feeling pretty good. He's on track. And then another curveball. And this curveball comes in the form of a woman. Sometimes that's the way curveballs come or sometimes in the form of a guy, girls. And this is this comes in the form of a woman and it's Potiphar's wife. Can you smell trouble on that one? You can smell trouble, right? And sure enough, he, she likes him. She's sexually attracted to him. And she keeps trying to get him to have an affair with her, seduce him. And when Potiphar's not around and stuff, and he keeps resisting her, and it's a problem. Now, it's a problem maybe, you know, or, or a thing that maybe some of you can relate to. She finds him so irresistible, you know, romantically, sexually. Because I, I bet a lot of you guys out there listening right now, a lot of you men, you can relate to that. You're just kind of irresistible. It's, it's a burden, I know. But and if you're if, if you're at wherever you're at right now and you're with your significant other, your your wife or your girlfriend or 
Hopefully, if you have a wife, you don't also have a girlfriend. That's another sermon. You shouldn't do that. But but if you're with your significant other, just look at look at her right now and just say, you know, babe, I, I, I'm sorry. I know it must be really hard living with somebody this irresistible. I know it can't be easy. Uh, see how that conversation goes. But that's what he's dealing with. So she keeps trying to, you know, get him and all that stuff. He keeps resisting. And at one time it becomes this big deal because she reaches, she grabs him, won't let go. He runs away, but she's grabbed a hold of his outer coat. So she's got her outer coat. She's so offended. She shouts out for guards and all that to come and Potiphar to come and makes up a story that he tried to rape her. And now he goes to prison for rape that he didn't commit. He goes to prison unfairly. That's a pretty big curveball. Now he's in prison. So what is he going to do? Well, again, what we see, he's amazing in his ability to do this. But he, you take responsibility for the things we can control and trust God for the rest. So that's what he does. He's in prison. There's different responsibilities in prison. And he decides, you know what? I don't like it, but I'm here and I'm going to make the best of it. So he becomes a really good prisoner and he gets more and more responsibility. He gets relative freedom, gets a lot of, of you know, stuff in prison, you know, responsibility wise, makes the best of it. And while he's in prison, he meets these two guys, the chief cup bearer to Pharaoh. These are two guys from Pharaoh's court. He's in Egypt, Pharaoh, the king, the chief cup bearer, which is like a butler. And the chief baker, which were both actually very trusted people, because back then ancient Near Eastern kings were always worried about being poisoned, justifiably. So anybody handling food or drink, that was a very trusted person. So the the cupbearer, the butler, and the baker are there, and we don't know why they're in prison, but I've, but they lost trust. Something happened one day. Joseph sees that they're both really, really dejected, and he goes up to him and he says, "Hey guys, what's wrong? You know why are you so sad?" And the they both say it's weird because we both had these dreams that we can't understand and they're really troubling. And Joseph says, well, you know, I believe in God, you know, this creator and different than what you guys do in Egypt. But um, but he's given me the ability. And, and if I pray, I know he will. He'll give me the ability to interpret your dream. So tell me. And they're like, OK, why not? So the butler sa- says his dream and then he interprets it. And he says, OK, yeah, here's what your dream means. Like right now, you're all dejected. Your head is down and in three days. Your head's going to be lifted up because you're going to be exonerated. You're going to go back to life as it was before. It's all going to be great in three days. Like, cool. Love it. The chief baker is like, oh, it's my turn, my turn, my turn. And he said, well, here's the interpretation of your dream. Your head's going to be lifted up, too, but in a different way. It's going to be lifted up and then chopped off. Uh, You're going to be executed in three days. And he's like, well, thank you. And sure enough, that's what happens in three days. One's executed. The other one's exonerated as he's leaving. He says, hey, I won't forget you, Joseph, and all that. I'll, I'll try to get you out. Of course, he forgets him for two years. Two years later, here's what happens. So this is going to be another curveball in Joseph's life. Two years later, Pharaoh is troubled because he also he's got a dream that he keeps having and he can't sleep anymore because it's really troubling. He doesn't know what it means. His advisors are useless. They don't have a clue. And he's all upset. And his butler remembers Joseph and tells this story. And the Pharaoh's like, well, go get that guy. And let's, you know, can't hurt. So he goes get they, you know, go get Joseph. And Joseph says, "Okay, Pharaoh, tell me your dream. He tells him the dream. And then Joseph interprets the dream. And here's what the dream means. He says, Pharaoh, here's what's going to happen for seven years. Egypt is going to have incredible plenty. 
Like it's going to be a time of prosperity. It's an agricultural era. You're going to have so much produce, so much wheat, so much grain, so much everything that you just won't even know what to do. It's going to be an incredible seven years. That's the good news. The bad news is the next seven years are going to be a time of horrible famine. Not just here, but different all over the Middle Eastern world. And it's going to be really bad. So if you're wise, here's what you'll do. You'll find a, a competent person to manage it. And during the seven years of plenty, when you have way more than you need to store all that up so that in the seven years of need and the seven years of famine, you'll have enough, not just for you, but other nations as well that will buy it from you. Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph. He says, hey, that sounds great, but I want you to be that person. And so now Joseph is not in prison anymore. Now he's an official in Egypt under Pharaoh and not just any official. Pharaoh is so impressed with him. He realizes this is such a big deal. He's like, here's what I'm going to do, Joseph. He gives him a he, he puts his royal cloak over Joseph. He gives him his signet ring, which is like the keys to the kingdom. It's like your parents giving you the credit card, just way bigger. He has him ride around the capital in, in Pharaoh's chariot because everybody's got to bow to Pharaoh's chariot to realize, hey, this is this guy's a big guy. This guy's a big deal. He also changes his name. Uh, to from Joseph, a Hebrew name to an Egyptian name, Zaphnath, because Hebrew name not going to work anymore. Got to get a new name, Zaphnath, which is a pretty cool name. Really, when you think about it, like, I don't know what your name is. Probably cool. Mine is Jeff, uh, which is fine, but it's just so plain. It's like Biff or something, you know, Biff, Jeff, Zaphnath. Now, that's a name. He gets a, a new name and now he's a official in Pharaoh's court. So what's he going to do? We see him do the same pattern, take responsibility for the things we can't control and trust God for the rest. He decides, I'm going to do my job really well. And in fact, he does it so well during the seven years of plenty and stuff that Pharaoh makes him the like the leader of the country. I mean, he's still the Pharaoh is still the king, but he sort of makes uh, he makes well, now Zaphnath, Joseph makes him like the one who's actually running the company. So Pharaoh's off playing golf and stuff. And Joseph is actually running things. He's one of the most powerful people in the world and the most powerful nation in the world. He could have never seen that coming. That's not what he chose, but that's where he's at. So they go through the seven years of plenty and then they get into the years of famine and two years in another curveball. Now, this isn't a bad curveball. Not our curveballs are bad. Curveballs are experiences in life, circumstances that just change everything for us that we don't see coming. And sometimes they're bad, but sometimes they're good. This one, pretty good one. And it relates to his family that he hasn't seen for 22 years. It's been 22 years since his brothers sold him into slavery. So here's what happens, right? So you've got his family in Israel. Joseph's in Egypt. As far as his family is concerned, they're never going to see Joseph again. The dad thinks he's dead. The brothers think he's just some menial slave somewhere in the world. Joseph doesn't think he's ever going to see his family again. But the famine that's hit Egypt has also hit Israel and the whole Middle East. This is two years into the famine. Jacob's family is wealthy. They've got gold and they've got stuff, but they don't have grain. They don't have food. So Jacob, the dad, you know, you got the 11 brothers of Joseph who are still there. And so the dad's like, hey, hey, guys, quit playing video games all the time. You got to get busy. Like, we got to do something. Now, they're adults now. But he says, I, I want you to go take a bunch of gold and stuff to Egypt. I hear they have extra and they're selling it and they've got a surplus that they've stored up. 
go get some. And so the brothers go to Egypt and guess who they're going to appear in front of? They, have, they cannot see this coming. And this is when the story gets really, really cool. Here's the story starting in Genesis 42, 6. Now, Joseph, oh, here, I'll read it from the slide. Now, Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him. You remember that, that dream he should have kept to himself? They bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. So they, rec- they don't recognize Joseph. Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize Joseph because they couldn't imagine that he's now like the president of Egypt, one of the most powerful people in the world that they're bowing down to. They have no clue. And he's, he's not called Joseph. He's Zaphnath. He speaks Egyptian now. He looks Egyptian. He's dressed Egyptian. He talks like an Egyptian. He walks like an Egyptian. Does that ring a bell for anybody? Uh, walk like an Egyptian. You remember the old Bengal song, you know, walk like an Egyptian. In fact, uh, here's some of that video. You can YouTube it later and as a family. But right now, go ahead and stand up wherever you are. If you can stand up, uh, everybody just go ahead and do it because we're going to learn how to walk like an Egyptian. So all you got to do, right, is uh, just like you see him doing it. Maybe if you can see the screen is you kind of go like this. Right. And if you're really good, you can do your neck like this. And here we go. Let's try it. Let's all do it together. Don't make me. I mean, I know I look stupid, but. You know, don't leave me hanging. So let's go ahead and do it. Walk like an Egyptian, right? You got it? That's all you got to do. I'm sure. And, and the song goes, walk like an Egyptian. We'll move on. But this sometime today or this week as a family, why not learn how to walk like an Egyptian? YouTube, the Bengal song. It'll be a lot of fun. So Joseph talks like an Egyptian, walks like an Egyptian. So they don't know it's him. But he knows it's them. And it says he talks harshly to them. Oh, why? Because he's going to mess with them a little bit. He's going to put them to the test. He creates a really big dilemma for them. He accuses them of being spies and stuff to see how they're going to respond. And they're freaking out because he's a powerful guy and they feel like they're going to be killed. And they're like, why is this happening to us? Like a lot of people are asking right now, why is this happening to us? And, and they're having this conversation and they said to one another, now they're talking in Hebrew and Joseph's right there. They assume he doesn't understand them because he's Egyptian. But of course, he knows Hebrew. They said to one another, surely we're being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us, meaning God's getting us back because of what we did to Joseph. Reuben, one of the brothers, replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen. And they did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. So Joseph continues to mess with them a little bit more. And then he decides, hey, we're going to throw a banquet. Now, a big banquet. Now, this is a big deal because they're, they've come out of famine. And now this big banquet with all this food. It's like if you're really hungry and somebody invites you to Fogo to, I say chow, Fogo to show or something like that. They, just some incredible place like that that has all this food and you can have as much as you want and, and all that. And if you're smart, you won't eat the salad. You'll just eat the meat. And, and so he's, I mean, they're at this place. I mean, they're this huge banquet. And it's a really big deal. And the brothers are wondering, why is this Egyptian guy so interested in us? And, you know, is he just buttering us up to kill us? What's going on? And eventually, Joseph can't take it anymore. He's going to reveal himself. So he tells all the Egyptians, all the servants and stuff, every Egyptian leaves. I just want to talk to these guys. And now they're really wondering, okay, what's going on? Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? Because he doesn't know. 
But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. They're being in their pants because the one that they sold into slavery is now the head of Egypt who could have them tortured, who could have them killed, could do anything he wants. Come close to me. We're like, we don't want to come close to you. Come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Joseph is starting to put it together. He's like, wow, all this curveballs that have happened in my life that I thought were random. They weren't random. It was all so that God could get me right here, right now to save the family of promise through whom the Savior one day would become. To save my family and the family that would eventually, uh, some, you know, the Savior of the world would be born. He goes on. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. Ultimately, God was in control. It wasn't just you being foolish. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now, hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, which was a really fertile place, one of the most fertile places in the world. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have, I'll provide food for you there. Because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. And that's indeed what happens. The whole family, including the dad, come over. Of course, the sons have to say, hey, dad, you know that thing about Joseph dying? Well, you know, that wasn't quite the truth. You don't have to do that. But they come there for they ride out the famine in this in this incredible place. And Pharaoh gives him even more wealth to honor Joseph. And then Jacob, the patriarch, dies and they freak out again. The brothers are like, oh, with him dead, he's going to get us. And so Joseph has to reassure them and catch this language. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. In the King James, it says what you intended for evil, God intended for good. The song, one of the worship songs we sang earlier echoed that thought that all these things that happen in our life that feel so bad. A lot of them are happening right now. And it's just like, oh, man, life's out of control. What Joseph was able to see in this moment is, wow. I thought my life was out of control, but this whole time, every second of my life has been in control of God who had a plan. And now I'm seeing that plan worked out. If my brothers had never sold me into slavery, I never would have gotten here for this moment to save the family of promise. He's able to see God's overall purpose. It's an incredible story. And it should be hugely encouragement, hugely encouraging to us right now because we feel out of control and it's not nice to feel out of control. It feels so uncertain to realize this, that if you know God, that he is committed to you. The Bible says that to all that to all who love God are called according to his purpose, that he will always work out his purpose in our life. 
He will always work out any circumstance for good in our life. He's committed to that. And there's not been there's not one second in our lives, if we know him, that's outside of his control. Really, no matter what, there's just not one second of our life that's outside of his control. He's working his plan and there's not anything that can change that. The stuff that's happening in our lives right now, it's not taking God by surprise. He has a purpose. He has a plan. So what does that mean for us? In terms of how to hit a curveball like this, when life is going along pretty well and then all of a sudden we realize how out of control we are and life is all about uncertainty and we have no idea what to, how to even plan or what to do, how, what do you do when you face the experience that we're facing right now too, the loss of control? It's a hard thing to handle as a human being because we like to be in the driver's seat. We like to be in control. So what do we do? Again, We learn from Joseph, our hitting coach, take responsibility for the things we can control and you trust God for the rest. So let's talk about this a little bit. First, take responsibility for things we can control, because the truth is, no matter how out of control we might feel. There are some things we can control. There really are. And those become our responsibility to do. We don't have to get paralyzed. One one really great thing, we've talked about this a couple times in this series, when you feel out of control, is to say, you know what, let me write down inventory the things I can control. I mean, I would say write them down, even this week. Write down, what can I control right now? Make a list. And then you work the list. You're faithful to work the list, and then anything outside that, you just leave it in God's hands, because you can't control that anyway. So let's play around with that a little bit. Let's say you have been furloughed, you have lost your job, you have been laid off. That's outside of your control. And when you get a job again, the res- you don't know. You have to trust God for that. But what can you do? Well, make your list. You know, I got to get my resume together. I got to work my network. I got to, you know, boom, boom, boom. I've, okay, just work your list. Trust God for the rest. Maybe you're in sales or something and you're like, you know, nobody's buying my stuff. I mean, I, you know, maybe, I mean, some people in sales... They're in demand, but maybe not your stuff. You're like, well, what do I do? I can't control that. I'm not going to, you know, what am I going to do? Well, work your list. You know, you can, I'm going to make this phone call. I'm going to do, right? You just, you do what you can do, and then you trust God for the rest. Maybe you're a college student, like we mentioned earlier. And again, your plan was not to be at home going to online school. That was not your plan. But now what can you do? Well, there's actually a lot in your control. You decide, you can decide your attitude. You can decide uh, what kind of student you're going to be online. That's true if you're in high school, too. Um, you can you can decide what kind of citizen you're going to be in your house. Uh, you can also decide to maybe prioritize your spiritual growth in a way that maybe would have been harder in college to maybe join an online group. There's young adult uh, groups going on all, you know, all the time and, and groups for college students. So maybe you just say, you know what, I'm going to get in one of these groups. In fact, that's true for everybody, whether you're a college student or an adult or retired person or whatever. Uh, One thing that all of us can do right now is prioritize our spiritual development, is prioritize our spiritual growth. We can all do that. Like there's a lot of things we can't control, but we can take steps to know God better and to know other people better that can help us grow. Uh, Right now, uh, you just you heard about it earlier in the service. There's all these uh, Zoom groups starting that our pastors are starting on specific topics that are incredibly relevant. And I promise you, if you join one of those groups, you're not going to regret it. 
And you're going to get to know other people who can encourage you. And you're going to grow in those topic areas. The pastor, I know they're going to do a great job. It's going to be a great experience. But you can blow it off or and say, you know what? I'm going to take control. of it. I'm going to do that. And the cool thing about Zoom groups, online groups, I don't care where you are around the country, around the world. You can sign up and you can join. And I hope you will. Um, others of you might be in a situation where emotionally you're struggling with this. And I understand why. I mean, it's tough. And so maybe for you right now, it's just like, man, you're spiraling in anxiety or you're spiraling in depression or maybe you've gone back to addictive behaviors or you're afraid you might be on the road to that. And you think, man, I just feel so out of control. I don't know what to do. Again, make your list and work your list. What can you do? Well, one, you get in a group of people that you can be honest about. Some of these groups are about this stuff. We have a we have some ministries here uh, to to be helpful as well called Renew. You can look that up. Uh, you can make sure you have a trusted friend that you're talking it out with because they can help you get perspective when you lose perspective. Anxiety, depression are both liars. Uh, they 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 don't tell the truth. So you can't listen to yourself. You need other people to listen to. It, you need to maybe reach out to a doctor. Like, a, you know, there, maybe there's some medicine that can help. You need to reach out to a counselor. If it's addiction, maybe you need to check yourself in somewhere or at least reach out to somebody like in Renew or on our staff, the care thing or something. Just say, you know what, I, I'm going to take responsibility for what I can take responsibility for. And then I, I've just got to trust God for the rest. I can do what I do. And then I'm going to I'm going to trust God for the rest. And here's the cool thing about the second part. Trust God for the rest is that God is trustworthy. <laughs> he, he, he's not only in control, he actually gives a flip. He cares about you, and he's good, and he's got a good plan for you. And he's working his plan. And therefore, even when life feels out of control, the truth is, before this pandemic, when we felt more in control, that was just an illusion that we were ever in control anyway. We weren't. We just felt like it much more than we do now. But now that we know how out of control we are, we can trust the God who is in control. Because the truth is, there's not one second of our life that's been random. There's not one experience that we go through that's not filtered through the purposes of God. And that God won't redeem and that God won't use for his purposes. And that's what the Bible, that's a promise. That for all who love God, called according to his purpose, that he will work all things out for good. And it, it, and it really starts, the biggest favor you can do yourself is to begin a relationship with God, which means understanding Jesus came to make that possible. And you just say, yes, God, I want to know you. I want you to forgive me my sin because of what Jesus did on that cross, dying for my sin. And I want you to come into my life and, and I want to know you and, and I want to live out your purposes. And I want to be able to trust you. And he'll respond to that. You, you and I have an incredible opportunity and a difficult time to learn how to hit the curveball when life is out of control when life is uncertain. And I believe he'll help us do that. And so let's let's pray together right where you are. Let's just uh, bow our heads together and talk to God. That's all prayer is. And as I pray, you just pray along with me. You just talk to your father. He, he loves you. You don't have to use special words or special language. You just talk to him. And, and right now, let's pray. And, and, and Father, you know how out of control we feel. And you know how we're struggling with it. And there's so much uncertainty. It's hard to even know how to plan in so many areas of life. And, but, Father, we pray that you would help us to trust you. 
to be wise enough to take responsibility for the things that we can control. And, and Father, would you give us wisdom for that? Just know, hey, what, what is it on our list that you want us to do? And then with the rest, would you give us the ability to trust you? And, and to be at rest and just realize, hey, my life is not out of control. It's in the control of a good God who loves me. And he's working out his purposes. And one day I'll see it. It may be a long time, but I'm going to trust him. And God, would you give me peace? Or right now I have so much anxiety and unrest because I'm out of control. And again, you may want to begin a relationship with God. And you just simply, the Bible says it comes as a gift. You just say yes. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough for God. Uh, God came to make that possible for you. And he offers it just, the Bible says, as a gift. And you just say, yes, Lord, I want you in my life. I want you working in my life and working all these things out for your good purposes. And I want to be able to know you and trust you. And that's what it means to begin a relationship with God. Father, thank you so much that you are in control and that you are good. In Jesus' name, amen.